I'm going to ask you if you would to take your take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. I just want to start out by saying one incredible uh, blessing it's already been to be here. Cameron, thank you for that wonderful worship. Um, And we could leave right now just saying it's already been good to be in God's house. But I pray that the Lord will take his word and and speak to our hearts this morning. As you can tell, I'm I'm not Luke. Uh, But... I had I had the privilege of meeting Luke at the seminary. I'm a student at Southern Seminary. I'm about halfway done. My name's Matt Smith. And as y'all can tell, I'm not from around here. Uh, <laughs> I'm from northeast Georgia. So I'm a bulldog. <clears throat> Please don't hold that against me and don't tune me out because of that. Amen. But no, I, I actually had the privilege of meeting Luke. I think we had Greek class together, if I remember correctly, elementary Greek. And I also had the opportunity to meet Cameron not long ago. And, and Ken and Diane uh, were so gracious to invite us to their house. And I met them at Chick-fil-A. I've been working at Chick-fil-A at Hurstbourne while I'm studying. So just in God's providence, he's blessed me with the opportunity to be here today. And I really appreciate it. So, I want to preach to you out of Ephesians chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 9. I believe that's on page 976 in your pew Bible, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, out of reverence for God's Word, all who are willing and able to stand as we read our scripture for today. And today I want to speak to you about a moment of grace. A moment of grace. The Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived, In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning? 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to live another day. Father, we thank you for bringing us here in your sovereign will this morning together. And thank you for the words that we've already sung that have directed our minds and our hearts towards you. And Father, we seek to worship you as your Son taught us in the Gospels that you desire. We seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray right now, would you please tear down any spirit in this place that would try to exalt itself over the Spirit of Christ? Father, would you direct our hearts and minds towards Jesus? Father, I pray that you would plow up the fertile ground in our hearts and help your word to take deep root, that it may spring forth and produce fruit for your kingdom. And Father, I confess to you this morning that I can't do this in my strength. Oh, Father, would you please let me decrease and let Jesus increase in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would bring someone into the kingdom this morning. Father, I pray this morning that you would open their eyes, remove the scales from their eyes, and help them to see the glorious gospel and the glorious Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins. Father, we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. For the next few minutes, I want you to imagine something in your mind's eye for me. I want you to visualize... We're going to step back a few years into November of 2004. And it was kind of a a cold and dreary day. Kind of windy, raining, freezing rain. New York, as a matter of fact, Long Island. There was a carload of delinquents who decided to do something that day. What they first decided to do was they broke into a car and stole a credit card. As they took this credit card, the next thing they thought they'd do was go on a shopping spree. And they got into their car with this credit card that didn't belong to them. And they proceeded to go to a video store. As they went to this store, they began to just grab random uh, video games and charge them on the card. And then, for whatever reason, they thought they'd go to a grocery store. So they got back in the car and they went to this grocery store and They begin to throw random things in their buggy, and for whatever reason, no one knows exactly for sure, maybe because it was close to Thanksgiving, but they, the video camera caught them later taking a a 20-pound frozen turkey, maybe because it was close to Thanksgiving, and throwing it in their cart. As they left the the grocery store, they got back in the car, and they were heading down the road, and by then it was night, dark. And like teenagers sometimes do, they begin to dare each other to do some really careless and foolish things. The lady coming the other way had no idea what was about to happen. She was an innocent victim, and her name was Victoria Ruvalo. As a matter of fact, Miss Ruvalo was on her way home from her 14-year-old niece's vocal recital. She was only about two blocks away from her house there in Long Island. She certainly had no idea what was about to happen. On a dare from one of his buddies, one of those teenagers leaned out the window as her car approached and he threw that frozen 20-pound turkey. 
It smashed straight into her windshield with such force that it bent her steering wheel completely forward and went straight into her face. As that frozen missile hit her face, it literally broke every single bone that it came into contact with. What followed were about eight different surgeries. They had to literally screw her face back together with titanium plates. Her eye sockets were held together with synthetic film. They had to wire her jaws back together. She had to breathe and be fed through a feeding tube. And the people were absolutely outraged. The same feeling that you get as I share this story with you, you're like, what kind of jerks would do something like that? The people were furious. They begin to plead with the law enforcement and the media, just tell us who they are and let us deal with those punks. We'll take care of this. It wasn't for about 10 months before Miss Ruvalo would actually meet the young man, the young teenager who did this, and his name was Ryan Cushing. As they met that day, the paper actually said that they met face to reconstructed face. And as they met that morning in the courtroom, because of all the work that had been done to Miss Ruvalo's face, you actually really couldn't see a lot of physics. She was physically unable to show a lot of emotion on her face. So nobody could really tell what she was thinking. When this young Ryan Cushing stood before the judge to give his plea, the courtroom went absolutely berserk. It was chaotic when he was allowed to stand before the judge and plead to a much lesser uh, crime than what he had initially been charged for. People were going crazy. They were saying, who in their right mind would let somebody plead something like this? Look into what he's done to this woman. The court, the judge was literally having to bang the, to get order back in session, bang the gavel. People were looking around thinking, what in the world is going on? And at that moment, over on the right-hand side, Miss Ruvalo stood up, and with a frail voice, as the judge brought the court in order, she said, I'm the one. I'm the one who allowed him to play that. She said, it was me. I don't want the worst for him. I want the best for him. At that moment, this young thug, Ryan Cushing, was given permission by the judge to go over and approach Miss Ruvalo and speak to the woman who had damaged so badly. And as he began to approach her and try to say something, all he could do was break down into sobs. And this guy who appeared so tough in front of his friends now stood before this woman broken and, and contrite and just sobbing like a baby. The reporter wrote it up this way. And I quote, she reached out and took him by the head and brought him in to her and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I want your life to be the best that it can be. And you and I both know that it takes quite an event to bring tears to New York magistrates and lawyers. But the next day in the New York Times, the front page of the paper simply said this. A moment of grace. As we think about that story that we've just heard, 
And as we come to our text for today, as we read this, we realize that we too are just as guilty and in fact dead in our sins as these teenagers were. We deserve nothing but God's judgment. But God, in a moment of grace, is willing to resurrect you this morning to life through Jesus Christ. Follow along with me in your Bibles and let's look and see what Paul shows us this morning. The first thing that I want us to realize this morning is that you are dead in your trespasses and sins apart from Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, you don't have a personal relationship with Him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. As we come to verse 1 today, Paul's purpose here is to show you and I the spiritual condition of, of everyone apart from Christ. Notice he says we're dead. What does he mean here by dead, church? Well, to understand that, let's think about what the Bible teaches us about the word dead. When we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and most of you are familiar with the creation account, we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and we read about the first few days of creation, how God created the heavens and the earth, right? And we come along to to day 5 and God created man. Or day six, rather. And when God created man, he says that it was very good. And God created man at that moment. Man was not sinning. Man had a relationship with God. He walked with God. But as we move on to Genesis chapter 3, the Bible describes man's fall into sin. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, God had warned Adam and Eve. He said, you may eat of the trees of the garden... But the tree in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, do not eat of that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you will die. And the devil, we know the devil, came along in the form of a serpent and he tempted our first parents to eat from that tree. And they broke God's command and sinned for the first time. At that moment... The curse of death fell upon mankind. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul writes, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So the text is answering the question for us, what effect has the fall of sin had on mankind? According to the Bible, sin produced separation. We went from the blessing of, of walking with God, of being in fellowship and knowing God, to being separated from God. Our relationship broken, destroyed with God. And this morning, apart from Christ, we need a resurrection. We are dead, spiritually dead. He's not saying that we don't have biological life. We got up this morning, we came here. We still eat, sleep, go to work, right? We do all this, though, in the realm of sin. We are absolutely dead to the things of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this. He said, for the man who's dead in Christ, who's spiritually dead, he has no 
affections for the things of God. He has no interest in hearing the Bible. When the Bible's preached, it's boring to him. It has no effect on him. He has no desire to talk about the gospel or heaven or God or the soul or Jesus Christ. But he's interested in movies, in novels, in magazines, in newspapers. He's very much interested in what man is who man is and what man has to say, but the things of the God of God do not appeal to him because he's dead to the things of God. Notice here how Paul describes our, our death, what, what our sin looks like. He's, he uses two words here in verse 1. He says, trespasses and sins. Trespasses. These two words summarize the Bible's teaching on sin. Trespass means to deviate from the right course, to cross a boundary maybe some of you like to hunt or grew up hunting like i do and 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 people post on their property do not trespass don't cross over this line well we have trespassed against god's commandments as a matter of fact god has said don't do this and we've done it he said do this and we have not done it right so we've trespassed he said you shall not and we have but then he uses the word sins and that's the the most common word in the whole Bible to describe our sin. It's the word harmartia, and it literally means to miss the mark. It's like an arrow falling short of the target. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is holiness, perfection, and you and I can't meet that standard. We've fallen short. We're born into sin. I have two boys. I don't have to teach my boys how to be bad. I don't say, go over there and kick your brother. You know? As a matter of fact, we had a little talk before we walked in here today, and I said, we're visitors here. Be on your best behavior. Right? Because we're sinners. We're selfish. We come into this world, and it's all about us. That's the nature that we're born with. We're dead to the things of God. Verse 2, the Bible teaches us here that our death is revealed in certain ways. Follow along with me. Paul says that we can know that we're dead by our slavery to the world. Look at verse 2. He says here that you followed the course of this world. He's describing the kind of life that someone who's spiritually dead lives. They follow the world. Non-Christians, people who are Dead and sin are controlled by the things of the world. That The world demands that you conform to its way of life. And if you don't know Jesus, if he doesn't matter to you, if you're not in love with him, then you gladly conform to the things of the world. John tells us in 1 John 2.15, Do not be conformed to the things of the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why would we love the world? Well, because we don't have the love of God in us. Alright? He says not only are lost people slaves to the world, he says they're slaves to the devil. Verse 2. He says that the spiritually dead are also following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. What does that mean, that term, the prince of the power of the air? It's... I think it speaks to the prevalence of Satan's influence in the lives of unbelievers. Just as the air is everywhere present around us, 
For the person who's not in Christ, if you're not in Christ this morning, Satan's, Satan's influence is everywhere present in your life. In John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this world who blinds the minds of unbelievers. The fact that you willingly and joyfully rebel against God and destroy yourself in sin reveals that you're spiritually dead and in bondage to Satan. Satan is energizing the world system that is anti-God from entertainment to the increase in violence to pornography to the homosexual agenda, agenda to drug abuse to unbelief. But then Paul moves on, he says, we're also slaves to our flesh. Verse 3 says that we carry out the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and the mind. Those apart from Christ are dominated by the passions of your flesh. You carry out the suggestions of your mind. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul gives a thorough but incomplete list of the works of the flesh. He says some of these are anger, idolatry, jealousy, strife, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, and the like. He said, I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he moves on, he points out one other thing in verse 3. He says that our sin leads to our eternal destruction look at the end of verse 3 he says here that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind god judges sin and sinners he will pour out his wrath on those who are not forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ as, and know Him as their Lord and Savior. If you die in your trespasses and sins, think about what we've talked about this morning, apart from Christ, slaves, slaves to the world, slaves to the devil, slaves to the flesh, and under condemnation, if you don't know Christ and you die in your sins, you will forever be separated from God and spend eternity in a lake of fire called hell. What an awful picture. But I have good news. Look at verse 4. But God. But God. We sang this morning. And can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You are made alive in Jesus Christ by God. Paul has revealed that we are all apart from Christ, spiritually dead, but now he's showing us that God is willing to make us alive through Christ. Why would God do something like that? Why would he look down in our helpless situation, in our sinfulness, in our joyful rebellion against him and forgive us? Look at verse 4. 
Paul tells us, he says, but God is rich in mercy. <laughs> God is apathetic, toward, or, or God is, has an abundance of pity for us. Not apathetic, but he has great pity for us. He has the means of meeting what we need, which is salvation and forgiveness. Paul goes on, it gets even better. He says that God has great love for you. Notice here in the end of verse 4, he says that God loved us in the irony here, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What kind of amazing love is this, church? It's the love of God. Because we were dead in sin, there's nothing that you and I can do to resurrect ourselves. We must be resurrected by God. I want to share a story with you. This little card, I have carried this in my wallet since October the 4th, 2007. Nothing magical about this. Matter of fact, it's a subway. Not the place where you eat, it's a train that you ride. <laughs> in Georgia, we have a railway system called MARTA. And this is a breeze card for the MARTA train. The reason I carry this in my car, in my wallet for so long is because when I look at this card, it reminds me of God's grace. On October the 4th, 2007, me and a friend of mine had taken off of work and my wife was working that day. But when she got home, we were going to rush and hear a preacher named David Jeremiah go preach in Atlanta. He was going to preach at the Civic Center for this uh Big celebration there, and I had gone online to his website at that time and printed off a bunch of tickets. They were free. It was more like an evangelism thing. And I had in my mind, I thought, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of homeless people down there around the Atlantic Civic Center, and I can print off these free tickets and invite them to come in and listen to David Jeremiah preach the gospel. Now, where Jenny's from is really a country town, all right? And I had become best friends with a, a guy that I'd met there who was also a young preacher like myself at that time. And he and I had spent a lot of time together, and he agreed to go with us. And I tried to tell him, I was like, we need to ride the martyr train, man. We won't get in any traffic. We can ride right there and just get off and walk into the Civic Center. And he's like, I don't know if I'm getting on no martyr train now. You know, I, I watched too many movies or something. He was afraid we are going to get mugged or killed. So I finally convinced him. I was like, Corey, we'll be all right. We'll ride the train. So we got on the train. And he was raising cane. That's a southern expression. But the whole time he was just kind of fussing. He was like, man, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. We're going to sit in the back. And we're, we're not going to get there on time. And I was like, trust me. The tr we're going to get on the train and be right there. We'll, we'll be there on time, brother. It's going to be okay. So we packed some sandwiches, some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and some Cokes. We got on the MARTA train, and the way it works is you have seats. Most of the seats are facing forward, but when you get up to the front of the train, you have some seats facing this way. So people this way, and then a few seats, people facing each other. So I'm sitting here facing like that, and there's other people facing towards me. My wife's sitting here. Corey's sitting here. And there's a lady sitting behind me, and I'll just be honest. She just, she just looked like she had... Maybe homeless. I mean, had just really had a 
rough life. And I looked over at her, and I said, hey, what do you do? <laughs> She's like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> uh, I said, hey, my name's Matt. I said, what are you doing? She said, uh, I'm, I'm uh, on my way home from work. And I was like, hey, we're, we're going to hear this preacher from, Atlanta, or from California. I said, I've got extra tickets. You should come with us. I said, it could change your life. <laughs> She began to look at me. She's like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's nuts. And I, I asked Corey, I said, do you want your sandwich? And he said, no, I don't want it. And I said, well, let me have it. I'm going to offer it to this woman. So I asked her, I said, would you like this sandwich? She was like, I don't know. And I said, no, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I mean, a perfectly good sandwich. She said, okay. So I began to strike up a conversation with her, and her name was Karen. And I asked her, I said, Karen, let me ask you a question. I said, what do you believe happens when we die? This was after we had talked for a few minutes. And she burst into tears. And she said, when I die, I'm going to hell. And I had my Bible there. And I put down my sandwich and I started sharing scriptures with her. Started talking to her about, how the Bible says that we are dead in our sins, but the gift of God is eternal life and how Jesus paid for her sins and how she could be forgiven through receiving Christ as her Savior and Lord. We're riding down the, the train and about 20 minutes later, Karen prayed to receive Jesus Christ. I was absolutely elated. Y'all can imagine, I, I was bouncing off the walls. I was like, Karen, you just got saved. I was like, this is amazing. I said, now you've got to come here, David Jeremiah, with us. And she said, okay. <laughs> so we get off the martyr train, and we walk right up to the Civic Center. We walk in. We're just, all of us are fired up for the Lord. You know, we're just like, man, this is awesome. We walk in an auditorium full of people, y'all. The usher looks at us. She said, how many of you are? I said, there's four of us. She goes, oh, I got four seats on the second row. Walked us in, set us right down in front of Dr. Jeremiah. We listened to him preach that night. We just worshiped the king. Man, I bought Karen a Bible. I stayed in touch with her over the next several years. We took her food, tried to disciple her. Then one day in 2010, I got a call from Karen Chapman. And she told me, Matt, I have terminal cancer. I wound up preaching her funeral. She died from brain cancer in 2010. There was maybe four people at her funeral as we stood there at the graveside. But I always think back to this night and how God, who's rich in mercy and great in love, looked down that night and in his sovereign plan, he took me and Jenny and Corey and he put us on that train so that we could share the gospel with her. And here's a woman who had spent her most of her life addicted to crack cocaine, had lost her son, had to give him up for adoption because of that, who was set free that night. 
And I remember going down to the hospice there next to Turner Field in downtown Atlanta and sitting with her for several days and praying with her with her hair completely gone and her body shrunk down to nothing because of that dreaded disease. And yet she had hope that when she died, her sins were forgiven and she'd be with the king. What kind of love is this? God is willing this morning to give you new life in Jesus Christ. With new life, Paul shows us that in verses 5 and 6, that with new life, God will give us power over the world, the devil, and the flesh. Notice here he says that he's raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, that when you know Jesus You're not walking in the power of your flesh anymore. That Christ in his presence comes to live inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And you have someone walking with you through life. Notice the the emphasis there is that we are with him. We are positionally as good as already there. One of my favorite preachers, Adrian Rogers, used to say, we need to learn how to look down on our problems because we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It's even better. Paul says that there will be a, a verse 7, a continual outpouring of the riches of his grace and kindness for now and for all eternity. I think of David in Psalm 23 and verse 6 when he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you're a child of the King and that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil because God is with you. His goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's review before we wrap this up what, what Paul's taught us in the first seven verses. Apart from Christ... You're dead. You're not sick. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You need a resurrection. You're made alive by God in Jesus Christ. And lastly, he shows us here, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Verses 8 and 9, you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. This morning, you must trust that God is gracious. You must trust that God is gracious. The devil will do nothing more than love to get you to question God's goodness. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. But I want to ask you this morning, what more... Can the God of the universe do to show you and I his great love and mercy than what he has already done in crucifying his own son? You must trust this morning that God is gracious. Paul emphasizes by grace that we're saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. 
It's the love of God going out to the eternally undeserving. We don't deserve God to be kind and forgive us, but he does. He will. God is not only patient, but he's gracious. He's initiating salvation. I believe in divine appointments. October the 4th, 2007. Maybe today's your divine appointment. July the 20th, 2014. God has brought you here to hear this message, to hear the good news. You have to believe that God is gracious, but secondly, you have to believe that you have to, you have to turn from trying to earn God's forgiveness. Look at this in verse 9. He says that our salvation is not a result of works so that no one may boast. We must turn from trying to earn God's forgiveness. Salvation does not come from works. Every one of us in this room this morning are either trusting in our works or we're trusting in Christ. If I were to ask you this morning, if you stood before God and He said, why should I let you into heaven? Would your answer basically be something like this? Well, I, uh, God, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. No, I, I, I go to Jefferson Town. I'm a member at J-Town. I, no, I, I try to read my Bible. I, I pray. I give to the church. I, I help people out. I give to charity. That is salvation through works. Guys, whatever we think of ourselves, God will simply not get over the reality of our sin. We have exalted ourselves over Him. We've stained our life with sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Unless we rely on Jesus, we will perish. He says here that, verse 8, you must personally trust, for by grace you are saved through faith. We must personally trust in Christ through faith. Faith is the conduit through which we receive God's grace. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not some sort of optimism. People go around, have you ever noticed how people go around and they say, well, just have faith. Faith in what? Our faith has to have an object and he has to be Christ. We must trust him. Y'all, as far as I can tell, y'all trusted that I would be here this morning. Right? You had faith that I was coming here. We must Believe that Jesus is reliable, that he's done what he said he will do, that when we trust him, we will be saved. Faith requires knowledge. We have to understand that we're a sinner. We have to understand that we need his forgiveness. We have to understand that he bodily resurrected from the tomb to give us life and that he paid for our sins on the cross. And faith involves a commitment. A surrender of ourselves. I grew up hearing people say over and over and over again, Well, I 
prayed to receive Christ, you know, when I was 10, but he didn't become Lord of my life until I was 20. That's not biblical. When we're saved, Jesus comes inside of us and he plants a flag and says, Mine. He's Lord, right? He's King. Is He your Lord and Savior today? Have you totally disavowed allegiance to Satan, sin, and self and surrendered to Christ? As we wrap this up today, Paul's shown us that as a result of Adam and Eve's fall, that we are born with a fallen and a sinful nature. We're not born into this world sick. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead to the things of God. And unless God comes along in His love and His kindness and initiates salvation, we will not be saved. Anything I can talk you into, the devil can talk you out of. But when God does something, He does it right. God is rich in mercy. And even in our sin, he is, His love for you this morning is great. And His salvation comes one way, through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you today in this room may not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You really know that you're not ready to die. The Holy Spirit has convinced you this morning. You realize that there's nothing really I can do. If God's standard is perfection and I have fallen short of that, there's nothing I can do to ever get there. And you realize this morning that, that Christ had to pay for your sins on the cross. And you realize through hearing this message that God is willing to forgive you and to give you new life in Jesus. I'm asking you at this moment, as I finish this morning, to be honest with yourself. And to be honest with God. And where you stand before Him. And confess to God your need for salvation. The Bible says that God exalts the humble, that brings down the proud. Would you humble yourself before the King of Kings this morning and confess your need for Him? Stop trying to earn God's forgiveness and trust Jesus and what He's already done and the fact that He will give you new life and forgiveness this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a long time and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you died, you'd be in the presence of Christ. I hope this morning, this message has reminded you of God's amazing grace. I hope it's reminded you this morning, as it reminded me going back and studying this and reading this, that God in His incredible plan wants to use us. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are earthen vessels, literally clay pots, but yet we have this treasure inside of us. The treasure of 
the presence of Christ and the knowledge of the gospel. And he wants to use you to go out and to tell a lost and dying and hopeless world that there is hope. And it's through Jesus.